0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart.
1: Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Do you have a need for speed when it comes to video and music? Stream till your heart's content with the best in wireless. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data coast-to-coast with no contracts. No credit checks and no overage fees. Get a plan as low as $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. Access most video and music streaming sites without touching any of your monthly data, all with the best phones or bring your own. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com.
0: If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Analytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees,
2: WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Let's go. Welcome to episode 145 of the Moran Analytics Podcast, presented by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Today is Tuesday, August 20th. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. As you could tell, hopefully you could tell anyway by the sound quality here right at the top, I'm now back from my Buffalo trip. It was a great time. I got to tape lots of episodes and interviews live at various places. I'll get to those in just a minute. As for today's episode, man, I got a twin billing of great guests queued up for you, ready to go. First up, I'm gonna have longtime veteran reporter and columnist over at the Buffalo News, Mike Harrington. He's gonna be my guest. He's been on the show before. This was the first time we got an opportunity to meet in person and sit down. Mike and I taped this interview while I was still in Buffalo. The last of my Wings Whip series, we hooked up at the Amherstdale House in you guessed it, Amherst, they took real good care of us there. We banged out some of the best wings you'll get anywhere in Western New York, especially, by the way, those Crown Royal barbecue charred on the pit wings. Damn, those were like legit killer, man, legit killing. Anyway, keeping with the format that I had for the Wings Wit series, we spent some time discussing wings, eventually turning our attention to Mike's summer vacation, including a trip that he had to Lambeau Field. The, the scenery, the sights, they completely blew him away, and it made him realize how much that Buffalo still lacks in the sports presentation department. So we hit on that. We talk plenty of course about the Buffalo news and how things have gotten back to normal after crazy 2018 spend time talking about the Buffalo savers wrap with a series of questions on random topics for Mike and spends a little time talking about the importance of supporting local journalism. It's a point that I couldn't possibly agree with more. It was a lot of fun. And again, Huge, huge props to Amherst House for letting us do it there. After that, I hook up with my man Aaron Quinn from Cover One to tape a segment for the first time in like a little over three months. It's been way too long since I've had Aaron on the podcast. We spent our time talking, of course, about the Buffalo Bills. That's what Aaron excels at. We have discussions about Josh Allen, perhaps his new quarterback in philosophy. I admit that I may have underestimated Cole Beasley's role on this team. We also talk a little bit about Tyree Jackson and uh, Duke Williams, Daryl Johnson, much more. Good stuff following Mike's Buffalo and Hockey Chat to really complement this episode. I'll have both of those for you in just a minute. Like I said, and if you've been listening regularly to this podcast over the last couple of weeks, hopefully you can tell the difference. I'm back home, back home, so to speak, anyway, in Florida, back in the comfort of my cozy little home studio with my studio mic, Mike, Mike iron processor, all my little fun podcasting toys, but but I'll tell you this, man. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't already missing being back in my hometown of Buffalo. Not even talking about the wings either. Well, not entirely anyway. I spent close to, what, three weeks in the 716 and it was some of the funnest times I've had in like seemingly forever. I got to tape a bunch of episodes and interviews with people that I really, truly admire and it was so much better being able to sit down with my guests face-to-face at a booth or a table and have casual conversation as opposed to the standard telephone or Skype-style interviews. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy doing those, but it's just not the same. It's more personal, and I think it comes off better when you're face-to-face with someone. At least I sure hope that it does anyway. And sure, the sound quality that you've heard in this series and at some points with Mike, It suffers a little bit because they're taped in bars with that typical bar and ambient noises that are running wild at times, not to mention my mobile podcast setup being limited compared to what I have at my arsenal back here home in my little studio. But you know what, man? I would not change it for anything in the world. I feel like the Wings With series I did turn out great. I I really do. And the feedback I got from fans on those shows was overwhelmingly positive, very happy about it. Uh, I want to thank the guys, of course, that met me out to do the Wings with series when I was there. Some of the very best and most recognizable names in the sports media game and in the business today. Huge shout outs. Sal Capaccio, Joe Yurden, Tim Graham, Eric Wood, Jay Skurski, and of course, today's guest, Mike Harrington. They all went out of their way to hook up with me and do these shows. They were awesome. And if you missed any of them, they were all fun combos, man. Go back in the archives on iTunes or Check out moranalytics.com to listen to any of those. I also wanted to thank O'Neill's, the Essex Street Pub, uh, the Autobahn North, Snyder Barn Grill in Amherst, Sonny Reds. Actually, I did two shows at Sunny Reds. I taped the show with Joe Biscaglia, who somehow I forgot to mention just a second ago. How could I forget Joe B? He's the man. I did Joe B, and I also did the show with Eric Wood at Sunny Reds, so I was there twice. And of course, Amherst Ale House where I taped with Mike Harrington, for today's episode. They were all gracious. They allowed us to do the shows there, not to mention hooking us up with some awesome eats. So it's very much appreciated on this, end. I promise you that. By the way, I still have a few interviews while I was in Buffalo in the can on Friday's podcast later this week. I'm going to play my sit down with Buffalo News executive sports editor, Josh Barnett, who I taped with him in his conference room at the Buffalo News building downtown. That was pretty cool. And then next week, I have an interview over coffee that I did with Michelle Girardi Zumwalt, the brilliant senior producer over at Pegula Sports. We met up at a Tim Hortons to tape that interview. That was a lot of fun. I'm a big Michelle fan. I love the work that she does. So those will be coming soon. One last thing, and then we'll get into today's episode. My chicken wing eating review, Power Mac is Journey in Buffalo. It pretty much been well-documented. kind of took a life of its own over the last month or so. The final scorecard for that trip, I think it read 25 wing trips I had over 20 days, including 20 first-time spots. I think I'm still kind of physically recovering from that. Anyway, reviews for all those can be found on moranalytics.com, or you can go on my Twitter, at Pam You'll find stuff there. I also will have my fall 2019 power rankings for all 60 wing spots in Buffalo that I've now had. That'll be coming soon, and I'll probably do a podcast episode discussing those with a guests or two but that's for another time. I've done more than enough rambling here. So let's dive into today's episode. It's a very good one. Two great guests. First off is my chat with Mike Harrington in the Buffalo News that we had over wings at Amherst Ale House recently, followed immediately by some Buffalo Bills talk with cover ones, Aaron Quinn. Let's do it. All right, my guest today is a reporter and columnist at the Buffalo News, also a Baseball Hall of Fame voter. We're going to talk about that, by the way, and a member of the Buffalo Baseball Hall of Fame. Third time doing this podcast, but first time we've had an opportunity to hook up in person. My man, Mike Harrington. What's up, dude? Patrick, it is a
1: pleasure to see you in person and a pleasure to break bread with you. You're the wing man. You know, we're gonna we we wanna see you in the chicken wing costume someday. And you know what? This weight gain thing you keep writing about, I don't think it's that prevalent for the number of wings you have
2: consumed in these three weeks. Well, Mike, this is an audio, not a video, so people cannot see that despite it's being 78 degrees out, I got a fleece on right now. A pretty loose fleece, by the way. You have to make sure it's loose with all those wings. It's very loose, man. Trust me when I tell you. Speaking of wings. We are doing this podcast interview at Amherst Pizza and Ale House in Amherst, and uh, me and Mike got after some Cajun medium and some Crown Royal Barbecue Chard Pit, both of them, man. They wow. were, they're sensational. I they highly there.
1: recommended you. You you made sure I knew your previous review, and I would give it uh, absolutely two forks up, you know, and I have <laughs> never had that variety before. Crown Royal, I mean, wow, it was awesome. And Cajun, you know, I've had a few
2: Cajuns before. This was High quality Cajun. Yeah, and I've been here before, so it's not like I was trying these for the first time. I already knew what me and you were going to be getting into. And for me, this is a legit, I've done 56 of these now, man. This place is a legit mm-hmm. lock top 10 place. Put it this way, man. If this, if Amherst Pizza House, if this was the NHL, they'd, they'd be a 100-point team. They'd at least, they'd be in the mix for winning the President's Trophy. They'd
1: be a conference final team for sure. Absolutely. You know, and I, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I have never had the wings before. Those style. I'm a big pizza guy. This place is top,
2: top top-tier pizza. I can tell you, top-tier pizza for sure. I haven't had the opportunity to have the pizza yet. I will at some point if I could stop eating freaking chicken wings. (laughs) But I'll tell you what. Let me drop a nice hot wing take on you, okay? Here here it is. Here's a hot take on chicken wings. People don't realize this, and they might first hear us be like, huh, I'm telling you this, though. Amherst, this area specifically of Amherst is the chicken wing capital of western New York. The best chicken wings in western New York can be found in this three or four mile radius. You have Amherst right here, where we're taping this from. You love Audubon North. I love Audubon North, and Elmo's, of course, is one of the very best places. You got three legitimate top seven or eight places, all within what, a seven minute, eight minute drive of each other?
1: And you're talking Franco's Pizza, too. There's all sorts of stuff up here. We could have tremendous amounts of caloric intakes <laughs> in Amherst. <laughs> I'll tell you, well, you know what, Amherst is very underrated for wings, man. I'm... First of all, it shows that you're, you still have the buffalo in you. You haven't lost it in Florida. Where
2: you know, What what wing do you get in Florida other than wild wings or something? That's why I do this, man. Yeah. It really is because when I went to Florida, I promise you I wasn't doing this, I had the same two or three places like most people do. Most people who enjoy chicken wings, they have one or two spots that they go to. I was the same way. You know, I went to one or two spots. I went to Florida, said... Right, I'm going to try to spot, try to spot. Every place I went it was freaking terrible. But there was, it, was, it was the worst. So I started coming back to Buffalo, and I said, every time I'm going to do something different here, I'm going to keep going to new places, expand my horizons a little bit. Granted, it has completely gotten out of control. It is fun for the most part, but I am. Uh, and it's informative.
1: I, Look at the way people <laughs> are jumping on your reviews, pro or con, and they want to see if they agree with you or disagree with you. So you kind of get the idea
2: of what being the columnist is like. I, I guess you're right, and it. I don't know how I feel about that, though. I want people to care about what I say if it's a Bills or Sabres thing, but they don't give a shit, dude. They don't. But I start talking about wings, they do. They take
1: wings seriously, right? They very. You know.
2: that's. I'll tell you, Mike, you know this, man. I'm not telling you something you don't know. You're a Western New York guy. You could talk Sabres, Bandits, Bisons, Bills, whatever. There's going to be a a portion of fans who just don't care. You know what I mean? No matter where you are, everybody has an opinion on chicken wings. Don't Everyone, screw with our wings. Don't. Exactly, right. man. It's just. Right. <laughs> anyway, all right. That's enough talk about chicken wings. I'm getting Even I'm getting sick of talking about chicken wings. <laughs> this has been kind of, by your standards, at least compared to last year, that's for sure, kind of a quiet summer for you a little bit, man. You've been chilling. and opportunity to have a nice vacation. Unlike last year. Right. <laughs>
1: well, you know, sometimes in life you get the, uh, what, what's the adage? The curveball comes your way and. We certainly had a lot of curveballs last summer. It's been well-documented, but, uh, you know, uh, we have uh, rebooted and added uh, tremendous amounts of uh, new blood to the talent pool. Sure. I think people, you've had them on your podcast, Lance Lysowski, Rachel Lindsay, and Jason Wolf have just been stars. Yeah. You know, and they were new to, not only new people to the Buffalo News, but new people to the Buffalo market right. in general, which is a really difficult transition, and that has been a terrific transition uh, boost for us to have them on the staff and you're right it's allowed me to have a little time last week i you know you and i talked before we went on the air here i went to lambeau field yeah. a hockey writer and baseball guy who needed to go to lambeau field and it was uh an unbelievable experience and that's something that you know i would have never thought i would have done but took my son there and it was a great time
2: i want to talk a little more about lambeau in just a minute but last year no need to document everything that happened that's old news is water under the bridge at this yeah. point but When everything was going down, I think maybe you more than anyone else was affected by this professionally. Lots of people were personally, but professionally you, because the the football department, even with departures, they were still fine. But the hockey department, the guy that you worked along with was gone. And all of a sudden you're on an island by yourself for the most part. You're a columnist. Now you would a columnist and a reporter at the same time. You didn't have anyone else for at least a period of time to work with. And, uh, how did the, you
1: get through that? Well, I, the timing of it was the issue, really. When you're talking June, Stanley Cup final was going on, and you're talking the Sabres had the number one pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. You had to cover the draft and at a much heightened level than most draft years because your team is the number one team. Then you've got to go through free agency, and then you had to go through are they going to trade Ryan O'Reilly or keep Ryan O'Reilly? So it was a difficult time to go through all the off-season stuff, and you know, off-season stuff is where a lot of the chatter comes. This sport has become an eleven-month-a-year sport. Really, August is about the only downtime. Well, June and July are pretty hot in hockey, and yeah, I was kind of uh, out there, shall we say, mostly uh, on my own. In that. And I had a lot of support in-house from uh, people in the in the department. But you're right; until we got Lance Lysowski in in the fall. It was certainly a difficult time, but, you know, people supported me. They worked through it. You know, we had a lot of resources in-house, and Tim O'Shye from the feature department came to the draft, and he has a lot
2: of sports background, Mm -hmm. and that was a big help, too. And, you know, we got through it all. You mentioned Lance. What did he bring to the table his first year covering the Sabres? We talked about this while we were having dinner tonight. If I was not from this area and I just moved here and just started following Buffalo sports after I moved here, I would have thought the guy's been here for a very long time. It seemed like he was pretty piped in and off and running very early on. Very early on. And one of the
1: biggest things with Lance was that he came from a pro beat. He covered the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's crazy. You know, so he understood how to cover a pro beat. And I made it very clear to him, obviously I have a tremendous amount of experience in baseball, covering hockey for the most part is easier than covering baseball. The players are more accessible. They're more willing to talk. The games are shorter. It never rains. Okay, it, you that know, makes so sense. Yeah. There's no extra innings until you get to the playoffs, which we never have to worry about with the Sabres, it seems. So the actual beat is easier to cover. He had to learn the ins and outs of covering hockey. He knew hockey, and it's just like I was 13 years ago. I knew hockey, but how do you cover practice? What do you look for in practice? How do you deal with the games the interaction with the coaches, the front office. He had to learn to meet people, and it was very difficult for him. He did almost the same thing I did 13 years ago. He came in in November, so he missed training camp and the exhibition season just like I did. That's tough. Yeah, That's tough. So now he's going to go through that whole cycle now, off-season, training camp, prospect games, and by October, when the season starts, he'll have gone through a whole cycle.
2: Great story on Skinner, by the way, his offseason. Unbelievable stuff. He's, he's a very talented guy, man. I've been on the show. Really likable guy, too. Young man. Lots of room to grow. I'm ho- hopefully, he'll be around for a long time. Speaking of someone who's been around for a long time, your friend, your colleague, Paul Hamilton over at WGR. I had him on a handful of months ago on the podcast. And honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. I... Didn't know what to expect. I had never had a conversation with Paul in my life, and I'm not talking in person. I'm talking about on the phone or anything. I've he doesn't even follow me on Twitter. We've never even had a DM conversation. Somehow, some way, it ended up working out where I reached out to him, and he came on the podcast. So I didn't know what to expect. I was a little wary going in. Mike does, or Paul, I should say, doesn't have you know the best reputation for interacting with people on Twitter all the time. He's got a very short leash, just like um, my guest here, Mike Harrington does. <laughs> but <laughs> but no, seriously, though, so I, I came into the interview, a little trepidatious, man. I didn't know what to expect, but I was just blown away. Right. He, he's First of all, I knew he was a pro. I mean, he's a hockey guy. Just, hockey's in his blood. But the personal stories that he told about his wife and his, and his weight loss battles and stuff like that, it was just really, it was moving. It was emotional, man. I listened to, I tape a lot of podcasts and I don't always listen listen the entire thing because by the time I'm done editing them, I'm all like, all right, man, I got it out. I'm on to the next one. But I listened to that entire interview and I was, I almost got emotional hearing it back a couple of days later. It was just, I I really grew to like him and respect him a lot. And I know you feel the same way. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Him. And we had a story in the front page of the uh the fitness section of the Buffalo News called Refresh, all about Paul's weight loss battle and his his surgery and his workout regime, which is often done on the road with Rob Ray, okay. which is Rob Ray is a big proponent of him getting him to make sure he works out. And, you know, Paul's gone through a lot of struggles in his life and it's well documented. His wife passed away. And yeah. you're right. He's able to focus on his job, but his life story was incredible. And people go on your website, they can call up these podcasts. They should absolutely, if they haven't heard it, do a search for Paul and listen to that particular episode on your podcast. Cause it was, riveting yeah that's the best way i could see the best word i could say it was riveting
2: he totally changed my opinion of him not that my opinion on him was bad to begin with mm. but i just had like i said a whole newfound respect and admiration for him after listening to that i think you and paul are both old school guys that's safe to say right we've been around uh, for a long you know,
1: time we've, old school in terms of we've been around a lot but i think in our business you've had to evolve you have a- and paul and i often have a running joke you know he sits there after practice And he's writing a story for his website. And a lot of times I'm doing audio or I'm running off to the TV station. And he's like, I'm trained in radio and I'm writing. You're trained in print journalism and you're doing (laughs) radio and TV. Basically, I, I tell young people all the time, you have to be a multimedia journalist now. You have to do everything. You know, podcasting is another example. You have to do everything. Paul and I have joked about that. It's not what either one of us were trained for. Now you're doing everything.
2: Yeah. When you came up through the ranks, all you had to do is be a good sports writer. Right. Tell a good story. That's a tiny part of it now. That's it's a real tiny part of it. Get on a microphone. If you can't put your face on TV or on the radio, man, you're not going to make it in this.
1: If you're not on social media heavily, it's a different time. And this is all really I've been at this place 30 years, 30 plus years A lot of this stuff really didn't change until the last 8 to 10 years. Yeah. You really could look at it where the job was the same for much of the first 20 years of my career. It's the last 8 or 10 years where all this outside stuff has exploded off the actual journalism.
2: I remember the process of seeing you guys from the Buffalo News one-on-one get on twitter and have to start interacting now, by the way i also think you might be getting a little soft in your old age man you're gonna you're starting to be a little bit nicer to the bloggers you're starting to be a little nicer to fans well remember i was all, not, i was the first one grumpy.
1: i was the first one to be nice to the bloggers back eight or ten years yeah, ago yeah, you know yeah. and then we've kind of gone through this circle relationship of you know some of them got a little big but a lot of them a lot of people out there can are capable of doing good work yeah you know and that's the thing if there's good work out there there's all sorts of media out there now and that includes bloggers who didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago
2: yeah i completely agree i want to circle back by the way when you talked about lambeau field i want to hit on that for a second you showed me a bunch of photographs and man those were stunning majestic photos does it make you realize sometime how organizations like in buffalo just lack compared to when you get an opportunity. Listen, Green Bay is like one of the meccas right. of the sports world. But even still, everything that you saw, it blew you away. Obviously, the pictures that you showed me blew me away. It's like there's nothing like that around no. here at all. Does and I mean, matter? I
1: don't hold Buffalo up to the standard of Green Bay sure. or Lambeau Field. Right. And here's the other thing. The Pagulas know they have to figure out what to do with their football stadium and they know they have to figure out what to do about renovating their hockey arena, which you could make the case the hockey arena is falling further behind its contemporaries than the football stadiums, falling behind the NFL. Yeah. The NFL it's behind in premium areas. The hockey arena is falling behind in basic stuff. I mean, there are now six more arenas this year getting the massive scoreboards for this season. Nashville, Carolina, Chicago, Philly, Washington, Arizona. We still have what is it, the two thousand seven or two thousand eight Tinker Toy? Hanging at the, in the middle of Key Bank Center. It would have been nice to get one of those for the 50th anniversary season. Yeah. You know, they have a very dumpy 100 level. They have a very dark 300 level. But the thing about the Pagoulas here, they're studying it. They've got consultants. And I bang them on this point. They know. I'm confident they're going to do a lot. It's just when are they going to do it? And the one fear I have is if you're trying to pair the football stadium with renovating the arena to try to get money from government agencies for both the same time. That's a concern to me. I think they should already be pouring money and renovating this arena while they're trying to figure out the football stadium issue is not just what, but where. And it's really complicated.
2: What do you think about where? I know that hockey is your lane. That's what you do. You're not covering football, but still, that that might matter to you. You are a Buffalo Bills fan. At least maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe you're not. What do you think about the stadium, regardless if you're a fan or not? Well, do you like it in Orchard Park, or if it was up to you, if you were making the call, not the Bagulers and not the county or anyone else, just Mike Harrington, would that stadium be staying where it is in Orchard Park or would it be coming downtown somewhere around where the arena is?
1: The trend is downtown. Mm-hmm. The trend is downtown. I don't see how downtown works in Buffalo. I don't know how you get 60,000 people in and out of downtown for a football game when you struggle to get 19,000 people out after yeah. a Sabres game. I don't know where they can put it. You know, there's land over maybe they acquire by the casino. There's not a lot of places downtown. Those throughway ramps get in the way. The outer harbor is not an option. Then the egress is going to be terrible out there. To me, I really think there are two options are major renovation of the Ralph, likely did in Kansas City or Green Bay, and that may not even work based on the bones of the structure. Or new one across Abbott Road on the other side, knock the current new airfield down for parking when it's done, that may be their only option.
2: During your sports reporter trips, during your vacations, again, you just got to go to Lambo. You're enjoying a nice summer vacation. What have been some of the most impressive places that you've been to? Like when you get an opportunity to kick back, I know with work you get to travel everywhere, right. but a lot of times it is you're in that city. You might get a couple hours to have a dinner, enjoy yourself or whatever, but you're there to work mostly. But when if you have... The, the opportunity to go anywhere you wanted to go on vacation. What are some places that either you have been to or some places that like you would really like to go to in a non-working type of environment?
1: Well, I really have been lucky with the morning skate of the NHL games. I do try to walk through some of the arenas, and you can do it without the crowd. There's no one in the place. right? Yeah. So I tell people, if you're going to go to a hockey game, <clears throat> obviously the two newest arenas are Vegas and Detroit. They're both beautiful. They're great to go to. I love classic stuff I love Madison Square Garden even the new one mm-hmm. because it still feels like the old one right. and the history displays are incredible and every Sabres fan must go to a game in Montreal they must yeah you have to go to a game in Montreal it is like a church it's probably a little bit like Lambeau field is to football but and again this is not the old forum this is now a 23 year old place the fans are incredible the building's incredible the atmosphere is unbelievable you got to go to Montreal. With baseball, I've had the same good fortune to go to most of these places and walk around when they're empty before games, mm. before the gates open. That's when I do my investigating and walking around. <laughs> but, you don't know, have to dodge people in the concourses. I love... I, I was going to say AT&T Park. They keep changing the name. Now we're at Oracle Park. Right. If you get a chance to go to Oracle Park in San Francisco or PNC Park in Pittsburgh, but San Francisco, first of all, all you smell... Are garlic fries. Really? <laughs> the 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 aroma of garlic fries is everywhere at Oracle <laughs> Park in San Francisco, and you are drawn, you must do it. Well, the views are unbelievable. The bay is there, the Bay Bridge is in, in center field, McCovey Cove's in right field. It's as picturesque in person as you see on TV. And you know how sometimes things don't translate. Oh, it looked a little better on TV. No. This place is a home run when you're there in the park, just like on TV. You can walk out to the Coke bottle in left center field. You can walk behind on the cove and see the people in the boats. That's so cool. The food is terrific. I would tell anybody it's a long way. If you can get out to San Francisco
2: for a game, it is awesome. I'm here with Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News. That was awesome. Let's spend a couple of minutes about the Sabres, which might not be quite as awesome. you have covered sports for a long time. Do you ever remember a season... <laughs> That looked so promising, right. not just for a couple of weeks. I'm talking a couple months. Right. A season like that just go completely in the crapper so quickly and so hard as the 2018-19 Buffalo Sabres last season. It's
1: bizarre. You know, when you look at it, some of the stats are crazy. People say, oh, it fell apart after the 10-game winning streak. Well, it really didn't. They beat Boston in mid-December. They were up on the Bruins seven points, and they were 92.3% to make the playoffs in wow. mid-December. Wow. We went to St. Louis. I was on the beat that night. December 27th, they played in St. Louis. Everyone forgets this. When the Sabres were in St. Louis on December 27th, they were 15 points ahead of the St. Louis Blues. Wow. 15 points ahead, and that's the team that won the Stanley Cup. So that shows you how quickly they rose and how much the Sabres sank. Um, it fell apart. By February, they were out of the playoffs already. Yeah. Jason Botterell was stunned in Tampa when he came and talked to us when I asked him, you know, the fans are thinking the coach should be fired. He couldn't believe it. He was incredulous The question, and then it became an issue, and obviously the team fell apart in March, and I don't think they plan on firing Phil Housley at all. He probably only needed to win three or four more games. What did they win? Two games? They had that two-game winning streak at the end. They won one out of 16 or one out of 17 right. until then. So they almost had no choice. I think there was obviously a business aspect to it that Botterell understood. Who's buying a season ticket if they retain Housley? And then the Florida Panthers dumped Bob Bugner, hired Joel Quenville, and I think there was a lot of panic in the organization. Hey, they got Joel Quenville. What are we going to do? But it was just, it made no sense how that thing fell apart to that level. They at least should have been in the hunt well into March. Everybody knew they were overshooting what they really sure, were with all those sure. wins, but they had so many points in the bank if they had just played 500 hockey, they probably are close. But to, to
2: miss the playoffs by 22 points is just incomprehensible to me. Do you think that the players were genuinely stunned when Housley got fired? Do you think they were surprised, or do you think they expected it at some point? What was the reaction based on what you saw in it? Her- well, the, the reason I
1: think they were surprised was Botterell told us excuse me, he fired Housley the day after the season finale before he did any exit interviews. The game in Detroit was Saturday. Housley got fired on Sunday. The exit interviews were Monday. The players didn't even get a chance to say, oh, Housley's doing a great job or Housley's doing a terrible job. Botterill made the choice, and he said, we're going to move on. So the players came in Monday for their exit interviews, and some of them were shocked. Some of them were like, well, it's our fault. We didn't win a lot of games. And I think guys like Kyle Akpozo and even Jack Eichel to agree were like, another coach got fired. I think they know now there's no more blaming the coach here. Yeah, They've gone through two coaches now, and they're going to have to play hockey this year. And, you know, I think one of the problems the Sabres have is the Sabres are going to be better this year. I mean, they can't be any worse than they were at the end of the year, right? Right. But look at the bad luck. We joke about you can't have nice things in Buffalo. Could it been any worse that number one and two in the draft end up in New Jersey and New York? Yeah. Could it be any worse that two teams ahead of the Sabres, Chicago and Detroit, really throw surprises at the draft? And the Sabres end up with Dylan Cousins, who's going to be a really good player. We can't have nice things, Pat. What what team breaks their number seven overall pick in a three-on-three scrimmage? Yeah. They break him, and now he can't go to the prospect games. He can't go to Team Canada summer camp. He's probably not making training caps, so he has no chance probably to make the team. Yeah, We can't have nice things.
2: <laughs> who, brave, who breaks their number one pick in three on three in June? Now, by the way, we are, again, for everyone listening, we're taping this at Amherst Pizza and Alehouse. So when this drops, maybe something that already happened. So then this point would be moot. But as of right now, what's going on with Rasmus Mr. is he going to be here? Is he gone? He
1: can't be here. He can't. I don't see how he the,
2: the one thing that the
1: Botterell's run into the problem of is he has a very unbalanced team. He's got too many left wingers, he's got too many right defensemen. Mm-hmm. And he's losing leverage. He's losing leverage because everybody knows he has to make a move. And now this story comes out, and if you want to believe the finished translation of it, basically saying wrist the line and saying I want out. Well, Botterell was asked point blank, his wrist the line and asked for a trade, and he pretty much. Dodge, it's that I don't want to discuss private conversations. But yeah, we know and probably asked out. But a player now who publicly comes out says he asks out and doesn't want to be here, what are you going to get for him? What are you going to get for him when everybody knows he doesn't want to be here and you got to dump him? And bottle has the additional problem of I can't make another Ryan O'Reilly mistake. Yeah. I have to make sure if I trade Rasmus Ristalainen, I need real live bodies. And, I mean, the, the, the that trade evolved badly. When you look at it, when it happened, he saved money. Patrick Berglund was a 20-goal guy. People remember Saboka killing the Sabres in the playoffs. That mm-hmm. was eight years ago, though. Tage Thompson was not the number one prospect. He was one of the top four. What a disastrous trade. And who would ever think Ryan O'Reilly became what he became? I didn't like the trade from that standpoint anyway. But you can't think he's going to win the Selkie and win the Conn Smythe Well, you can't dump Rasmus Ristolainen and get... Spare parts and picks, but is somebody going to give you a top six forward now right. when
2: they know the guy wants out? It's a it's a tough spot, rolls in. It really is, because on one hand, you can't operate out of fear right. because of what happened O'Reilly. When it, on the other hand, you can't not think about that. You dump the guy. You get less than, what, pennies on the dollar for him at this point. If he does go on to become the player that the Sabres have hoped they would be, that might be the final nail in his
1: coffin. It could be. I mean, he's had it. P- Decent Summer is a GM. Yeah. Colin Miller is a nice pickup on yeah. defense. I think Marcus Johansson's probably a nice pickup up front. I think maybe they're going to try him at center, and he's not a center, but he's he's adding to the imbalance on left wing, but that seems to be a nice pickup. Joe Gaharu from Chicago, nice young defenseman.
2: It's going to take me all year to be able to say oh, that I name know. correctly.
1: And, and Jimmy <laughs> Vesey, Jimmy Vesey is in a contract year. Yeah, I think Jimmy Vesey is going to play his butt off. Because he wants to get paid. Yeah. So I think Botterill's made some nice additions there. But
2: what do you do with wrist I mean, he can't possibly be at camp. What kind of cap shape, or I'm sorry, what kind of cap shape are the Sabres in right now? You look, the average fan doesn't understand the cap. Oh, I barely even understand the cap sometimes. They don't have no cap room right now. How is that going to, what are they going to do? Well, before? that's the problem. How do, how do you not have cap space? Teams
1: that don't have cap space are winning teams. Yeah. Toronto. Teams that are w- close to the cup. The Sabres haven't been close to the playoffs and they're out of cap space. Now, he's going to create cap space. He trades with the line and maybe he gets players close to it, but he's going to possibly use long-term injured reserve to get more cap space. Bogosian, Pilot may not be ready for the start of the year, but I don't know what he's going to do. And the thing is, remember, he dumped Ryan O'Reilly. He got rid of that $7.5 million salary. And now he's looking at how many year a year away from having to pay Darlene. Yeah. So the Sabres and I think the Sabres are one of these teams strangely enough that want the cap to keep going up and the cap didn't go up as much as you as people thought. Um that is where I'm okay with Botterill though. That's Botterill's sweet spot. That's what he did in Pittsburgh. He was the cap savant. I trust he will figure out the cap. What we still don't know and he try he drafts well. We don't know if he knows anything about acquisition and deletion of NHL players. His trades haven't been great. His free agent acquisitions haven't been great to date. He's got to prove
2: he can succeed in that area. I saw something on the NHL Network. They are a list of the top 20 centers in the league, and I think Eichel, Eichel was 15th. What right. did you think of that, him being the 15th? By the way, Ryan O'Reilly was number 12 ahead of him on that list. Do you have thoughts on that? Um,
1: Sound right about right to you? It's about right right now, hmm? but I think he's fifteen. And obviously still has the potential to be five, six, seven. 6, 7. You know, and, and I wrote a column in April that a lot of people gave me a lot of grief about. And the funny part was I said, Jack Eichel has to be better. People was like, he's way down the list of problems. And I said that. He's not one of the problems. But you know what? I ran the point past Jack Eichel. I wasn't just riffing out of the blue. Jack Eichel said to me, I need to be, better. To be better. And said to me, I need to be a 40-goal scorer. And if I had bared down in some of my chances this year I'd have been a 40-goal scorer I need to see from Jack Eichel a 41-goal 104-point season because he's a 10 million dollar player now Pat he's not on his entry-level deal and you know who knows he needs to be a 41-goal 104-point guy it's Jack Eichel <laughs> so if he knows it and that's his goal I'm not saying anything out of left field here and and people went crazy about that particular column, which I found bizarre because I had talked to him about it. Right. You know. So it was just one of the things. Sometimes you get the weird reaction, you know. But ultimately, obviously, I think Jack Eichel can be a forty-one, go hundred four-point guy, and he really needs to be at that kind of salary. He's the guy. It's his team. He's got to be the one to produce. And and Skinner obviously is another one now. He was a 40-goal guy, and then they gave him the $72 million. Well, he better not become a 28-goal guy. Right. He better stay a 40-goal guy. And it's a real dilemma, and that's why they have cap issues. They have chosen their team. If you want to win the Stanley Cup, this is going to be your team, maybe with a change in goal at some point, with Lucan and at some point down the road. But these top guys are going to be your top guys.
2: Speaking of top young guys anyway, there's two more players that I wanted to ask you about, and then I'm going to... We're going to end this with a little ask Mike thing here. I'm going to ask you some random questions, some hockey, some just some fun shit that we'll talk about. But anyway, our fans and maybe even some media putting expectations on Olafson, which will be his first full season in the NHL and maybe a bit high, like you look at him right now. And granted, it is August. You probably want to see him in camp and always looking before you can make, you know, a further evaluation. But as you are sitting here, Full off some chicken wings here in Amherst right now. What are your expectations for a guy like him this it's year?
1: It's hard to say. I mean, I wanted them to call Olson up last year, mm-hmm. and they didn't do it. They didn't make any moves, and I thought at minimum, forget a trade, you could have at least shook things up by calling a guy like Olson up for a few games from the minors, and they didn't do it. Maybe they didn't want to cause disjointed results in Rochester. I don't know what they were doing. Olson's the guy who could be an X-factor guy. I could see eight goals, and he struggles. I could also see 24 goals, and that big shot really gives this team a boost. But you're right. We're going to see it in camp. We're going to see exhibition games, see where it goes. He's a guy who could really make a difference. One more guy I wanted to ask you about, Rasmus Asplund. How far away do you think he is? I would like to see him right now. And, I mean, no offense to him. He's a nice enough guy. Wouldn't we rather just see Rasmus Asplund as a fourth-line center than Johan Larsson? Yeah. When we talk about cap trouble here, one of the reasons they're in cap trouble is they re-signed Larson and Gergensen's. Why? Why? Why would you play those guys again?
2: Mike, I got killed killed for this. I'm telling you right now, I'll be the first to admit it. Not an analytical person. I don't Mm -hmm. understand a lot of the stats, dude. I still barely know goals, assists, points, time of possession. That's what I know. Time on the ice. I don't know all this other stuff, but... I remember making a stink. I'm like, why did they go out? Why? Why is Larson back? Why is Gergensen back? Why are all these guys back? I got murdered for it on Twitter. Yeah, I just don't understand it. Well, I mean, I-, I
1: understand they kill penalties. Gergensen's brings a bit of a physical element. You don't have much of. I get that. And but I mean, they provide no offense. And this is something by covering the Stanley Cup Final every year, I really see in person. People have to understand these teams that go deep in the playoffs. Their third and fourth liners aren't plugs. Yeah, they score. They produce goals. I mean, the Bruins and Blues. One game, one of the games, they started the two fourth lines against each other, and they were they were animals. And it, it, the Sabers' bottom six is a big problem. It continues to be a big problem. It's one of the real weaknesses on the club. The Sabers have top six guys right now that are good enough to go into the playoffs.
2: God they don't is, have the depth. God is my witness. If I wasn't too lazy to have hooked up the Wi-Fi before we started doing this, I would have looked it up because I know I did before. Gergensen's over like a four or five year span only had a couple more goals than Rob Ray did.
1: Right. He doesn't score enough goals. He scores a few times on the lines with Eichel. You just need any other thing. let's not forget Gergensen's was a first round yeah. draft pick. Yeah, yeah. You don't expect a fourth line plug from a first round draft pick. And that's what he's become. And you know what? Those guys were both restricted free agents. I would have seriously considered walking away and trying somebody else. We're going to
2: wrap up with a series of random questions. All right. So I might just go off the beaten path a little bit here and there. Who cares? You could have one of these two guys in their prime. All right. Alexander McGillney, Pat LaFontaine, and you could put them on this year's roster. That would help this year's roster be better. You can only have one of those two guys on this year's team, both of them in their prime. Who would you take? I
1: always would take the center. I want LaFontaine. Imagine if you had Eichel, LaFontaine, Ah, gotta have the guys down the middle. McGillney, really benefited obviously that 76 goal season from LaFontaine LaFontaine at his prime set things up he was a table setter he would be an unbelievable guy to have right now And I mean 92 93 was a weird anomaly of a year but that was the guy
2: all right next question you kind of said Montreal already so we'll disqualify Montreal when the schedule comes out every year what's a road game that you circle on your calendar that you really look forward to going to No, so many cities, obviously, you get to go to more than once. That's an
1: interesting one. Um, You look forward to games in places like Chicago. Mm -hmm. You look when, and the other thing, you look at the trips. The California trip, San Jose is an unbelievable atmosphere. The, The Western Canada trip, Calgary is an unbelievable atmosphere. And here's the one that people in Buffalo could actually go to. If they really wanted an out of the box game to go to, you go see a game in Nashville. Really? It is incredible. They have concert a little concert stage in the seating bowl and i little concert in the second intermission oh wow man! You know, the crowd screams and yells during warm-ups the, the here's the funny nashville story the pa announcer like every other place one minute to go in the period eighteen thousand people all scream thanks paul <laughs>
2: <laughs> really it's,
1: it's a folksy kind of place they ha- they chant at the goalie it's all your fault after every nashville goal it <laughs> is the best time Ever. i would absolutely tell people you could get in your car and get there if you wanted to right. go
2: see a game in nashville conversely what's a, a road game where you're like yo lance this is all you dude mike staying home this time
1: <laughs> wow well you know we we don't we kind of go back and forth on different things um I, one of the goals i have for this year i want to make sure lance gets to every place yeah um ottawa is one that the arena is nice it's okay but it's way out of town and you got you drive there through the Thousand Islands, and the drive can be tough. I'm not big on Ottawa. Detroit got much better with their new arena. I like the Joe, but the new arena is great. Um, I used you know, to
2: love when, the, when you'd go to Islanders games. Islanders games. I, I, I loved it now. Nassau, the <laughs>
1: The Nassau Coliseum renovation was yeah. awesome. You know what's real depressing? I'll tell you the depressing one. The depressing one to me, maybe it'll change this year. The depressing one to me is Florida. Because the building's very nice, but it's the arena's not near anything. And there's nobody in the stands. It's embarrassing that it's an NHL game with how few people are in the stands in Florida. Now maybe Joel Quenville and Babrowski and company can change that because they have drawn when they've won. Yeah, but boy, it is a depressing place most nights.
2: Who's your favorite Saber ever? Purely for brawling reasons, like if you are on the ice, this is the last guy that you want to get in a fight with.
1: Oh, it's got to be Razor. I okay. mean, the, one of the, one of the great things about being on the beat is getting to know guys like Mike Robitaille and Rick Jenneret and Brad May and Razor. And Razor is hu- as hilarious in person as he was back in the 80s and 90s on the ice when he was losing his, his sweater in the middle of the fight. <laughs> and he has told me some fight stories. And the funny thing is he's friends with a lot of these guys. You know, Razor and Ty Domi are real tight. Yeah. And people wouldn't realize that. And Razor has some few not so complimentary things about a couple of the other guys he brawled with. But it was a different time. It was a different game. You see how fighting his way down. But think of back to those days in the yard, how much people loved Rob Ray and they knew what was happening when
2: he came on the ice of all the sabers that you've ever covered through the years. Who's been your favorite guy to go into the locker room and have a conversation with pretty much. I'm sure usually about work, but maybe you guys, you know, shoot the breeze besides just your job a little bit here. And there. yeah,
1: it's a, it's an interesting one. We, we all, everyone likes talking to Pominville. Um, Robin Leonard was a unique cat and then we found out a lot he had a lot of demons and he's props to him for what he did this year. We talked a couple times at the end of the season in Vegas. Mm -hmm. Um, The most interesting guy has absolutely been Ryan Miller. You know, Ryan Miller was able to talk about the game. He saw the game from all positions, but then Ryan Miller would talk about not just the Sabres game. He could talk about the game, the sport. He would talk about rule changes. He would talk about player safety, suspensions. Ryan Miller had a worldly view of hockey and not just of goaltending and it was very interesting just to talk about that and then he would talk about you know where he was going to live and it was when he when he ended up getting married his wife was an actress you know he told the story once of being at a barbecue and he realized this is cool i'm in hollywood at a barbecue it was a charlie sheen's house (laughs) really she was on the sitcom. You know, he's like, Oh, that's am. right. Here I am. I'm at a barbecue with Charlie Sheen. You know, <laughs> so he was telling us about that one day. He's just an interesting guy. And then you go see him. Like last year, I went and saw him in Anaheim. And we were talking about his dog and his kid. His doggy tweets and Instagrams a lot about the dog. And we talked about, uh, I did a big story two years ago on the 10th anniversary of the Winter Classic. We were talking about that. And he was telling stories that I didn't use in the story, just about playing in the snow. And he just, just a
2: real interesting, you know, renaissance kind of guy. That's really cool, man. Take away the press credential, the notebook, the laptop, all your work stuff. You can go as a fan. Game seven of a Stanley Cup, game seven of a World Series. What are you going to?
1: Uh, oh, boy. You know, I've been really lucky. I know you have. I've been, I've been at five game sevens of the World Series. That kind of pisses me off. <laughs> it's, and, and this year was the first game seven Stanley Cup I was at. Yeah. And let me tell you. I'm nervous as hell covering one of those games. I shouldn't be. I'm not playing in the game. Yeah. You're just nervous because you know it's going to be something epic you might remember forever. Yep. Um, that's a tough one. You know, the, the baseball, the drama of baseball is such where the game can change like the Yankees-Arizona game did. I'd probably pick game seven there because you know what? This year, it was 2 nothing at the end of the first period. The Bruins were toast. Yeah, the game was over. You didn't ever feel the Bruins were coming back, right? Baseball, anything can change. You know, I did the San Francisco Kansas City game, the Baumgartner came in, the Giants almost blew it in the ninth with a terrible defensive play. You know, the Arizona Yankees game, one of Mariano Rivera's great misses. The Yankees would have won four in a row. So, yeah. game seven, I'm going to go with baseball.
2: Okay, sticking with baseball, and you just mentioned him. What do you think of Mariano Rivera being the first ever unanimous choice? to go in the Baseball Hall of Fame.
1: Well, I think it's a good choice, but I think it's a, there's an evolution here. First of all, the evolution is people are okay with relievers now. Mm-hmm. The second evolution is transparency. Social media plus the writers choosing to reveal their votes. Which dummy is not going to vote for Mariano Rivera and take the beating for it? Right.
2: Accountability is present more it's big. Either. There's
1: much more accountability. Um, I think maybe he may not deserve it as much, Derek Jeter is going to be unanimous next year. Yeah.
2: Who's not voting for Derek Jeter right in the Hall of Fame? Really? Are you not going to vote for Derek Jeter? You know, it's funny you say that because I that was actually my next question. Do you think it's going to happen again? Because I looked at the first time guys in fact, I don't have it up in front of me right now, but No one else. First th- that's it. Literally that's it. You got Bobby Abreu, Jason Giambi, Cliff Lee, No. Rafael for Call, those guys. No one's even getting in next year other than Jeter maybe. Maybe yeah.
1: maybe Schilling sneaks in. I don't think Bonds and Clemens get much more than the 60% they're at. Larry Walker's at 59. It takes a lot to jump 16% in one year. You know, there's not a lot of great first-time candidates. And the other guy coming up is David Ortiz. He's going to, in, I think it's 2022, he'll get in. He's going to get like 93 95%. A lot of guys won't vote for a DH right away. Right. So he's not going to get, you know, and there's always been the Mitchell report suspicion with David Ortiz that I don't necessarily believe. He's not going to get in unanimously. I think the only one we're going to see for a while is going to be Jeter.
2: Do you think that it's – are you reasonably confident that neither Bonds or Clemens will ever get into the Hall of Fame as a player, at least anyway? I mean, what, around 59% or so they're at right Uh, now? I
1: don't think they're getting in because they've they've plateaued. I think everyone's made their decision. You either vote for Bonds and Clemens and you keep voting for them like I have, or you don't vote for them. And I don't think anybody else is changing their mind – for them to get another sixteen percent, I think those two guys are so
2: polarizing. You're in or out, and I don't think it's going to change. It, that makes perfect sense. Why would it change if the, you don't? The think, numbers if, aren't changing, if, right? The numbers aren't changing. The situation's not changing. If you don't think he's a, or if you do think he's a Hall of Famer in 2019, why would you think the opposite in one or two more years? Because from now?
1: there are studies done on guys. The Mariners heavily pushed Edgar Martinez. There's a lot of people pushing Larry Walker, and you can look at the numbers and really study them. I think everybody can look at the numbers and say by the numbers, obviously Bonds and Clemens are Hall of Famers. I don't even need to look at the numbers. I don't care what Bonds' war is, even though I think it's I think it's either first or second all-time with Babe Ruth. I don't care what his war is. He's obviously a Hall of Famer. <laughs> but if you don't like what happened in their right. career with performance-enhancing drugs, you're not going to vote for them. I happen to vote for them because they were before testing. They were Hall of Famers anyway. But that's just my opinion. Other people... Don't I agree, agree with you. I do
2: agree with you 100%. You know,
1: but I don't think anybody's changing. I think they're going to plateau around 60%. And then the problem is they're never getting in with the committees. The era committees of old Hall of Famers and old men, they're never going to vote those guys in. I think Bonds and Clemens
2: are never getting in. Well, I'll tell you what. If I had a vote on anything else besides chicken wings, if I had a vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame, I agree with you 100%. They have would, to be in. I would vote for them for sure. Last couple here. I've been binge-watching a lot of TV shows over the summer. I have a, I'm very fortunate in a way. Like Seinfeld. My, yes, Seinfeld. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm in the Cheers right now. I'm in like season eight of Cheers. I've already binged The Office like 19,000 times. I'm ready to get into Frasier. I tried watching Friends. That was stupid. I got out of that really quick. But anyway, man, do you get in any TV shows, past or present? I know you don't have... Listen, Patrick ain't got nothing but time. Right. Mike ain't got as much time as I
1: do. Oh, but, I'm, a, I'm a big Seinfeld guy, and I oh, think you've found... It. It's not that dated. The no. One, the one thing that's dated about it is the whole, the slapstick of payphones and that. You know, no one having a cell phone. Yes. Would change exactly. everything. If everybody had a cell phone. But other than that, it's not that dated. It's still pretty relevant. So I can still find a rerun of Seinfeld sitting around and I will sit there and watch it. You know, I can quote you the Soup Nazi episode. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you, you, you can't go wrong with Seinfeld. I think you, you've made the point in, on your blog. Cheers is a little dated now. It is,
2: it is. You know, I like it, but it is. It is dated. dated.
1: Friends is just. I never got into Friends either. But Seinfeld to me is, and the thing about Seinfeld, yes, you get over the parts that are dated, but just understand the comedic touches it took. You know, when Jerry Seinfeld did a thing at the Hall of Fame with Bob Costas, a lot of Abbott and Costello came in with Seinfeld, with George Costanza, with Kramer. A lot of he had a lot of that in his mind as they made some of these characters, and it's it's unbelievable television it still holds
2: i'll tell you right now that show went from being a show that i thought I was going to be annoyed with because i did in the 90s try to watch a couple episodes mm-hmm. jerry seinfeld annoyed me at that time right. so i was like that's why i didn't watch it when it was first aired but that shows made the mount rushmore for me of tv shows it's mm-hmm. that good and you're 100 percent right and i used to look for stuff like that it was fun i was like it wasn't until like the last season where there was any like cell phone usage at all i remember one episode there was like a, a humongous airplane there was somebody was talking on a the, the big phones yeah yeah but
1: man you know the first person i ever saw with a car phone was vic carucci really i was in a car going to Vic, and he had this huge phone <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of his car <laughs> it was like in the late 90s i'm like this is unbelievable he's got a phone in his car you know and you think about now and that you know that's like the dark
2: ages yeah Seinfeld could absolutely still air today sure. and if you get past those one or two which are by the way irrelevant things right it would still be really enjoyable and yeah cheers it things are different like i'll tell you Quickly, the bar scenes, especially in the like, you know, season eight now, it's in the late 80s as this is being filmed. It started out like in 1982 or 83. Right. Carla constantly harassing the bar every single day guys slapping her in the ass when she's walking yep. by and she's laughing about it. i'm like no that ain't that shit ain't, that ain't happening you know ain't, going on, ain't going on tv in 2019 and you're sliding
1: the beer down to norm every day i mean yeah it was, you know, how did how did norm get to the bars are dwi <laughs> issues i mean yeah
2: there's a lot of things there you know it's it's a it's a tough play nowadays <laughs> second last question here i want you to name me a tv game show whether it's something past or present that you feel like if you went on it right now that you would have a good chance of dominating, winning some money or whatever it is that you win. Oh, the game show, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I'm a, I, I don't think I could dominate, but I've often dreamed of Jeopardy. Yeah. And I know two people have been on Jeopardy. Really? Bud Bailey, our former copywriter, was on Jeopardy. Really? I yeah. never knew that. And Lisa Winston, the longtime minor league reporter for USA Today and one of the best baseball reporters I've met covering the minor league, she was on Jeopardy once. Wow. That's really you know, cool, man. And I never it, knew Bud was on. Bud was a Jeopardy contestant. Ask Bud about Kodiak Island. <laughs> that was the answer of Final Jeopardy. Wow. Um, it, it, that's one where, you know, I, I often, I like trivia, you know, I can go outside the sports realm. I've thought of a couple times. Should I go to the tryout when they've been down at the Adams mark or whatever, but
2: that would be one I would almost like to try. Okay. Last one here. We got these microphones. We're finishing up this podcast at the Amherst L house. These girls were loud, but now they've quieted down for us a little bit, but let's just pretend there's music going on. We're going to take these microphones. We're going to plug it into an app. And we're going to go rock out a karaoke song that's going to get all these people watching us right now up and dancing, ready to go. If you could pick one karaoke song that you would love to do, that people would love to hear you sing, what would it be?
1: Oh, my God.
2: Not And by the way, let me, <laughs> let me give you an interest of full disclosure. I might be literally the worst singer in the United States of America. Wow. It ain't ever happening, but I'm playing Fantasy World right now. We're going to go rock out something, and people are going to love it. What are you going to go sing? Oh, boy. Yeah, you know, that that you know you, you
1: do these questions on all these podcasts you put people on the spot. I love doing it. Yeah, you know I would wa- I would want to just I wouldn't want to rock out per se. All right, let's get smooth then. I was, <laughs> just let's do a little piano man. All right, that let's works. do a little piano man. Right, <laughs> you know you, you know every time you, it's it's arena cliche. Sure, every Saturday night game. As soon as you're getting the second intermission, they, they oh, it's nine o'clock on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. The whole crowd starts singing. You yeah. have to sing
2: along these arenas. So I would that would be a good karaoke. Yeah, right. that's a good one for sure. All right, everyone, follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Carrington. Of course, check out his work at the Buffalo. How about News. a commercial? Let me do a little commercial. Do a commercial. It's a
1: great time. It's a great time in journalism. It is. It is. Even there, there's all the stuff going on with the athletic and the Buffalo News. Our numbers are up. The athletics in town. You know what it's a great time for? It's a great time to be a fan. It is. There's more content than ever.
2: Absolutely. You know, I've, I've said this going back to last year. I've always thought that the big winner and everything that's going on are the fans. There's more content than ever.
1: But you, I, the biggest thing I want to say is people need to understand they need to support local journalism. Yeah. It's an important time. The Buffalo News is like any other local paper. We're not just about sports. You oh. know, look at the names the names in our place. We have award-winning photographers. We got a Pulitzer Prize winner and Adam Ziegler, the cartoonist. You know, Samantha Christman on consumerism. Dave Robinson in the business section. Sean Kirst, incredible people tales. What a great storyteller he is. You know, Jeff Myers in music. We have so many different people in different areas, and there are so many cities that don't have this, cities that don't publish a newspaper seven days a week. There's so many different things going on. I went to Green Bay, not a story, in the paper the next day on the Packers game because Gannett has the deadlines at seven or eight o'clock at night. You know, it's a great time for people for content. They need to support local journalism when they still can. So many newspapers are struggling. We're not one of them. We're in a very different situation, not being part of a chain, but just, I think there's so many people doing good work and so many entities out there. People really need to support the work they do.
2: Very well said, Mike. And thank you again for doing this podcast. I really appreciate your time, man. Pat, as always, and hey, awesome wings.
1: Hi, my name is Matt Kundal, and this portion of the More Analytics podcast is powered by my company, mattkundalvoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out mattcundlevoice.com
2: or click on the link in the show notes. All right, I am joined right now by Aaron Quinn from Cover One, recurring segment, buddy of mine on this podcast. I'll tell you what though, man, I... Was just looking at the archives, and I hadn't realized it until now. We've been like flirting with about three months since I've had you
0: on the pod. So what's going on? It's been a while, man. How you doing? I thought it was something I said. I didn't want to approach <laughs> you and make it awkward, but you know, I'm glad you had me back.
2: <laughs> no, man, that's not the case at all. I looked in since I last had you on in early May. I've been to Buffalo three separate trips. This last trip, I was doing my Wings Whip series. In fact, Mike Carrington's interview plays before people are hearing this right now. Plus, there wasn't a lot going on with the Buffalo Bills. I hedge you on every week leading up to the draft, pretty much. Not a lot going on after the draft. And by the time there was, I was already in Buffalo doing this series. Speaking of Buffalo, one cool thing is that we finally got to meet each other in person. That was pretty cool. Literally, my first night in Buffalo, we went to, where were we? Deep, deep, deep south, south. Taco? Yeah, uh, Deep Soft, man. That was pretty cool. That was a fun time. But we, I got to meet you. I got to meet Greg from Cover One, Eric Turner from Cover One. Um, Josh Barnett from the Buffalo News was there. Nate Gary, of course, from uh, WGR. Got to meet uh yeah. the Maniac Brock from Pile Train. Guy's yeah, Brock Pile Giles, Maniac from uh Trainwreck Sports. He came That, was, out, that yeah. was a good time, man. That was a lot of fun. It was the, good uh, to meet you man. Sabres
0: dudes too there. Uh Chad and uh what's yeah. the other guy? Yeah, the the behind the blade. I, Anthony. The I think his
2: name was Anthony. Anthony, yeah. yep. Yeah, that Those was a fun awesome. time, man. bunch of good dudes, man. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Didn't get to stay for as long as I wanted to, but nah, it was a good right.
0: time. So, you're busy
2: when you're there, man. Yeah, but you know what? It flew by. I was there for three weeks, in fact. So people right now who are listening are not confused. I played an interview with Mike Harrington earlier. We taped that while I was still in Buffalo. Now I'm up to date. I'm talking to Aaron Quinn. By the way, dude, this is a quick, funny story before we start diving into a little bit of Bill's talk, at least anyway, for this episode. Yeah, yeah. I talked to you last Saturday to arrange a taping of a Buffalo Bills segment for Sunday night, and then about an hour or so on Sunday night before we taped this hair segment, I started watching Zombie Tidal Wave, which actually was on the Sci-Fi channel on Saturday night, but I didn't get to watch it Saturday night. My wife and I went out, so I DVR'd it, and I got about, I don't know, I'm about halfway through it right now. Before, me and you hooked up to do this segment, and I don't know if you're, like, a Sharknado guy, but this is, know. like, Sharknado <laughs> on steroids, okay? Now, people out there listening, Sharknado, if you don't know this, is, like, literally the worst movie ever, but it's so horrifically bad that you actually end up laughing your ass off and enjoying the hell out of it. So, it's that type of movie. This movie, like, makes... uh it makes Sharknado look like the Shawshank Redemption by comparison. <laughs> the acting, it's just so bad. Oh it's so fun, man. I can't wait to actually end this segment with you so I can sign off and go back and watch the last 25 minutes of this movie. <laughs> Thanks that's, a lot. That, that's, <laughs> <laughs> <no>. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get a little bit serious. though. I, I do <laughs> want to talk some bills with you, man. I'm sure at this point, like I said, I've been running around in Buffalo the last couple of weeks, trying yeah. to get some work done, taping as many interviews as I can. I haven't been as locked in with the Buffalo Bills during the first two preseason games as I would have liked to have been. Conversely, I know you are. There's a couple players that I want to talk about. First and foremost, of course, would be the quarterback, Josh Allen. Number-wise, certainly looks good through the first two games. He's 15 to 22 for 168 yards, no touchdowns or interceptions, but most importantly, is completing 68.2% of his passes, which obviously would be an incredible thing for him to even sniff that during the regular season when the games actually count. I guess my question to you is, based on what you've seen so far, I did read that Matt Fairburn from The Athletics said his week in Carolina, both the two scrimmages and the game. I didn't get to actually watch the portion of the game where Josh Allen was in there, that he had a very economical week. That's a compliment. Are we to start trusting this guy more as he gets in the year two as a legitimate potential star quarterback in this league you look at these numbers or do we say yo man let's well, let's pump the brakes a little bit. It's only preseason, you know what I mean?
0: yeah, so over at cover one, they make fun of me because I'm always the guy telling everybody, well, wait, let's pump the brakes on this and wait, I've been burned by the Bills so many years that I, I can't believe anything at face value when I see it. and so I'm always that guy, but right now I'm having a pretty hard time. Uh, keeping myself calm when, it, when I'm watching Josh Allen what he's doing with first string offense, even without having certain guys in. And we'll talk about some guys that were not playing later. But um, even when he doesn't have his full plethora of weapons, right, John Brown missed last game and he still went off for nine, nine for 11. So I'm trying not to get too excited, man, but I'm having a hard time because he's hitting all the things that I needed to see. When I went to the first couple of days of training camp, he was still firing the ball in, the rocket, the fast arm. Uh, the fastball. And I said, all right, I've seen that from Josh. I need to see something else. I need to see the touch. I need to see the anticipation. And we're seeing that on full display in live reps. And like you said, it's preseason, but it's still live reps, man. And he's still hitting guys with anticipation, uh, dropping back with confidence, putting the offense in position. And those are all the steps I needed to see ramping up into this season. And maybe he doesn't get to average and maybe still below average, but there's reason to be excited. And so to answer your question, I don't know if I trust him yet to do a lot and take a huge step forward, but he's hitting all the progress notes that I think people want to see. I want to talk about Cole
2: Beasley separately in a second. Let's stick with Josh first, though, okay? Throwing a lot more from what I'm seeing and reading and hearing short to intermediate passes, which obviously would bring his um, completion percentage up. The same token, this is kind of like my conundrum with him. He's got the cannon arm, one of the best arms, if not in the NFL today, maybe one of the best arms in the NFL of all time. He's good enough with his legs, not only to extend plays, but he could actually make plays with his legs. I feel like at his best, he could be like a Big Ben. In fact, that's might not even be a good comparison because Josh Allen is a way better athlete than Big Ben was, but I'm talking about the big time arm and being able to stand in that pocket and extend plays that a lot of other quarterbacks can't do that Big Ben can. So that's at his best. Of course, conversely, at his worst, the knocks on him is that he's terribly inaccurate, very inconsistent, makes bad decisions, and commits awful turnovers. So you take all that into account, and it feels like with like Cole Beasley, for an example, dumping the ball off to him, these short intermediate routes, and letting these guys him, John Brown, Zay Jones, Isaiah McKenzie, whoever may be out there catching the passes, Robert Foster, of course, as well, making people miss, and moving to change that West Coast offense sort of style. Is that really a fit for Josh Allen? And I'm not trying to compare him to a Tyrod Taylor or Trent Edwards, but with those guys, that's kind of what the plan was. Those high completion, dick and dunk passes. It just feels to me like, and maybe I'm completely off base and entirely wrong here, but that's not kind of what fits the Josh
0: Allen strength. Yeah, but it's so it, like you said, it is the preseason. So you're using that time just like the refs do. Right. They overcall new sure, rules. sure, Absolutely. Right. And so that's what a lot of what they're probably doing with Josh is overworking some of the things that they want him to focus on during the year. Because once it's live bullets, he's for sure going to revert to some of his instincts that have gotten him here. Uh, and you're going to see it more too. keep in mind. John Brown was out this week. That's going to be his deep shot guy. So Cole Beasley was getting a lot more of the looks today. But I think it's more um, pressing on that and Dable mm-hmm. wanting them to work on that stuff and those matches matchups up the middle so Josh is comfortable with that going into the season so that the practice he can revert back to that in the season when hero ball isn't there the deep shot's not there and even if he only does it a little bit more than he did it last year that's going to bump that completion percentage up we saw a nice screen pass to Cole Beasley I've been slamming the table for them to start doing that on Twitter uh, because that's going to up his completion percentage and really get him to be an average quarterback in the NFL
2: what I just said about him does that feel like that hypocritical Buffalo Bills fan right now, or maybe not even Buffalo Bills fan, NFL fan who likes to criticize Josh Allen for everything he does. You know, he throws the the deep bombs and he's not accurate enough. You criticize him for that. Now he's starting to play a little bit smarter. He's throwing, he's checking the ball down more when he needs to, at least again, just the preseason. We don't know how things are going to play out when the regular season starts, but right now it seems to be making the safer passes. The completion percentage is up, but yet people are still criticizing him, at least in some extent, the people who don't like him. And what I just said, I mean- I was more asking a question and making a statement, but that's an example of what I'm talking about. It feels like in some ways, if you're not already a Josh Allen fan, the kid can't win right now.
0: He can't win right now. And that's okay. I I've said it before. I think, as nice. He's the kind of like, oh shucks, nice guy on the the microphone. But I think he uses and knows everything people are out there saying about him. I think he's using it to fuel him where a lot of guys it gets him down. uh, He's not that guy. He's using it to fuel him. And so I say add more fuel to the fire. Let the national guys do it. I think he notices it. And then that's good for him. You
2: know, Cole Beasley at five catches against Carolina. He looks like he's developing really good chemistry with Josh Allen. I'm starting to feel like I know I certainly didn't underestimate what this guy is going to bring to the table, assuming he could stay healthy and that they continue to develop that chemistry that it appears that they're having through training camp and so far halfway through the preseason. This might be a guy, I said it on Twitter, if he could stay healthy, he might catch 80, 85 passes this year for Buffalo. I don't think that's completely unrealistic right now, based on what I'm seeing, at least
0: early on. It's not totally out of this world. I think that the probably top pass catcher will be 70, 75 catches. So, I mean, if there's a couple good games in there, you're totally right. Right? Do you that, think that, he's that overtop. guy? Is he
2: going to be that guy? Do you think, if again, we'll see how things play out. He's yeah. got to stay
0: healthy first and foremost. But if he does, do you think he's going to be that guy who probably leads his team in receptions? I did not underestimate him when they signed him. I actually preferred it to the John Brown signing. Um, only I think John Brown will have a lot of those big play touchdown things, and that's what we need from him. But I saw Beasley immediately as a security blanket for Josh Allen because you're you watching with Dak Prescott, and when the pocket would break down or something, uh, Beasley just had that communication. With Dak Prescott, and he knew where to be in scramble mode, or he just knew how to get open. And these young quarterbacks have to find guys open. They're not going to, we saw Allen throw a little bit with more anticipation, but he really wants to see guys open. And Beasley's always going to be that guy. He's going to be open. So I think a lot of targets are just going to, he's like a magnet for it. He's just going to be the guy getting open and Josh is going to have to get rid of him. Um, I don't think the offensive line is as good as maybe we had hoped yet yeah, with all these missing pieces. We haven't seen Morse yet. So if he's got to get the ball out quick and maybe the offensive line doesn't live up to the hype, Beasley's going to see a, a lot of the catches because his routes are going to be shorter. He's going to be open and Josh is going to immediately get comfortable with that and go to that.
2: Yeah. See, this is where I say that I might've underestimated him because he is that check down guy. He reminds me of a way, and not just because he's a white, smallish receiver with great hands, like a Julian Edelman type, but I look at Josh Allen, all right, he slings the ball. So John Brown, to me, is the best fit. And he still yeah. might be the best fit. Again, this is the right. preseason, man. They're not showing their hand a lot. They're not doing yeah. a lot right now. It's very vanilla, just like 31 other NFL teams are doing. But my point being is I never saw Josh Allen as that type of quarterback who would move the change. He's not, a again, yeah. a Tyrod Taylor or a Trent Edwards type of quarterback. I always saw him as that gambler. So I thought John Brown would be the better fit, And maybe he still will be. But I, at least personally, me, I, I'm really starting to like what Cole Beasley brings to this football team a lot.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, man, I just was watching it right before we talked. Uh, Eric and Nate over at Cover One here went and they did their film room session on this last game, and they talk a lot about Josh Allen and Beasley. And I'll just leave it at that. I think people should go watch it because don't trust me for it. Uh, Go trust Nate and Eric. And I I think that your question about the amount of receptions, I don't think it's totally out of this whack, man. I I think it's pretty much on par.
2: You mentioned the offensive line. I want to spend a few minutes talking about them, in particular, Cody Ford. They're, listen, the offensive line is going to be better than last year. There's no, I don't think there's any question about that. But however, I don't think fans should be excited about that statement because that's not saying much, man. You're setting the bar very low. If the goal is to be better than the line was last year, you're not setting the bar high at all because the line last year was horrific, historically bad. I mean, I could go on forever about how bad that line was. This is 2019. When it comes to Cody Ford, I'll tell you what, I personally have always thought, that he would reject better as a guard. I kind of feel like most of the media that's been watching him feels the same way. I feel like Adrian Waddle being gone for the season already low key, very under the radar, but that was a pretty significant injury to the offensive line. And the biggest reason is this tie in If he starts a right tackle, Ford starts at right guard. If you got Waddle there, if something happens in the if he gets hurt or for whatever reason, he falls off a cliff, he's not playing well anymore. You got an experienced guy like Waddle that you could plug in and expect or at least hope for relatively good production. So you keep Ford at guard. But I think especially because that happened, and I know that Ford initially started at right tackle, but it wasn't long before he slid in the guard. And I really feel like the staff feels that that's his better natural position. But now, because they don't have any real depth at all at the tackle position behind the starters, Ford's still playing a lot at right tackle. He did play right tackle against Carolina because Inseki um, I guess he had a, a knee injury or whatever, a, a, a minor one, but he didn't dress for the game. That's my point. So Ford played right tackle and the reviews were very mixed. When it comes to this, I feel like they're in week three of the preseason now, and they better make up their minds and do it quick when it comes to Cody Ford. I don't like him bouncing around like this. If they want him to play guard, I feel like he should play guard
0: or tackle. He's going to play tackle. I don't like this bouncing around at all right now. Well, first, I want to say I think I was wrong about Lager Waddle. I talk a lot of trash on Twitter, and if I'm going to be wrong on something, I'll, I'll come out and say it. I think I was wrong on Waddle. I think he had more of an impact than I thought he had on this roster. And the clear by them trying to rotate to find that next swing tackle, try to figure out what they're going to do without him. So you were right about that. And I'll, I'll give you the credit for that. And Greg Thompson was also hitting me up about that. So I was wrong. I'm sorry, Lager uh, I didn't mean it. Hey, on man, the four- <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, on to Ford, though, man. God, this guy's a conundrum for me, dude, because I really liked seeing him and Inseki next to each other with Inseki at tackle and him slide in at guard. I thought that since they drafted him, I thought that was the spot for him. I really like him there. I like Inseki, so I, I, I don't want to lose the ability to play Inseki because we're trying to swing forward outside and forcing that. So he's a conundrum for me. I think he can hold it down enough if we had to start him but I'd still prefer if we keep tying Secchi and keep him there and then have Ford starting the year at guard. I, I just think it's a better spot for him right now. And it doesn't usually happen where a guy switches from guard to tackle, but I, he he might be able to do it down the road, but where you have in he's earned it in this league. He has it on tape. I trust that more with Josh Allen protecting him on the outside. And so that's where I'm at right now. I'd like to see Ford at guard. Um, but I think he could hold down the tackle if he has to,
2: you know, the injuries to the offensive line, definitely, are starting to wreak havoc, just not on the continuity, but also the overall depth of the offensive line. Of course, the big one we talked about Waddle, the big one is Mitch Morse. They gave the monster contract to the anchor, the center of the offensive line, has not been there since, what, day four of camp, I think the first day of contact. He's been out with a concussion. Obviously, that's extremely concerning, not just because Mitch Morse might not be out there, but that also does wreak havoc, like I said, on the depth. Right now, if Ford plays guard Inseki plays right tackle the way this roster was originally constructed. Okay. Ford stays at guard. Inseki goes down or Dawkins goes down. You got Waddle to plug in there. Now that's not the case anymore. Now you got Ford. If he's going to be the right guard and the swing tackle, and either Inseki gets hurt or is not playing well, or we haven't even talked about Deion Dawkins. Maybe he gets hurt and they got to put Inseki to the left. And then Ford at right tackle ends up a right tackle. Well, you got Long and Feliciano. One of those two guys were probably going to start at right guard and the other one would have been a backup. Well, now that wrecks havoc on your death if Morse isn't out there because whoever one of those two guys probably long plays right guard and now Feliciano is the backup center without Morse so you know that's just the start of game somebody goes down that the offensive line all these guys they signed, all this death that we thought they had not turned out to be the case
0: right now yeah I think people overhyped the new additions to the offensive line in general even when they're healthy I do think it's better than it was a year ago but like you said that's I mean, it's better than the worst looking turd in the litter box, right? Like it's a better looking turd. Uh, So but I do think that they got up when healthy to right below average, right around league average, maybe, which is a huge leap from going from worse. But then you start to add in a couple injuries. And this is something Greg and I brought up on our podcast when we broke down the positions is, yeah, these new pieces are nice, but. You lose a guy here or there, and that depth really starts to show through as a weakness, uh, in my opinion. And you're going to have some of that attrition throughout the season. It's going to happen. A guy's going to go down here and there, and it really does expose them, even with the amount of versatility they got. They brought in a lot of versatility. So, yeah, again, I think Waddle hurts it big time. One thing that stands out to me, your boy, uh, Eric Wood. On WGR, uh, the one Bill's live, he was talking and saying the team really liked Connor McDermott when he was there. So I don't know if that's still the case, uh, but he might be the sleeper to be that swing tackle role. I don't feel super comfortable with that, uh, but I took notice when Eric Wood says something, I always peek up and listen and even take down notes. So uh, that gave me pause that maybe they think he's that guy. Well, first, he's foremost like Morris. He's got to get
2: out of concussion protocol to potentially even be that guy. One guy on the offense that is not going to have an effect on game days on Sunday, but it's still worth talking about primarily because he came from UB's Tyree Jackson. Man, dude does not look good. I did see him play against Carolina, and that was not pretty. He's two games, he's like 6 of 20 passing, and it's not even the stats that are bad. I mean, he's missing badly. Terrible interception. He looks lost. He's not ready to be in the NFL. I don't think many people ever thought he was going to make the 53. Everyone assume Hmm. that he's not going to. My mentions. Well, I'll tell you, man, I I think that the general train of thought was: will cut him and he'll clear waivers and he'll end up on the practice squad. Starting to get to a point where if we don't see more of him over the next couple weeks, that maybe he's not even going to make the practice squad. They might release him and target someone else who gets cut by another team. And maybe that'll be a guy that they can develop. He's got a lot. He's got a long way to go right now to show that he belongs. Forget the 53, man, because that's not happening. He's got oh, a long right. way to go right now to show that he belongs worthy in of the NFL. It's not even a practice yeah. squad slot, but they're, only, they're probably only going to have one quarterback on that practice squad, especially if they're going to go into the season with two quarterbacks, which certainly they're going to do. It might not be Tyree Jackson, man. It might be someone from another team around the league that gets cut. that they might try to, you know, if that guy clears waivers or something like that, they might develop someone else. I'm not confident right now in this guy at all,
0: watching him. Yeah, so... I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think that people had a much higher hope for him. I heard a lot about concern that they might have to tuck him in on the 53 because they would be fearful of him hitting waivers. I think that's unfounded at this point. I think and that very, I would not. Very yeah, I would have no worries about him clearing waivers. I think he's going to clear him just fine. He should have stayed at school. You
2: know what? I, I He should have oh, stayed at time, school. Dude. Going in the NFL was the wrong decision. He got some bad advice, bottom line. Now, of course, we don't always know. There's always more to this story than what we're told and what we know. Had Tyree not went into the NFL, he still wasn't going to stay at UB. He was entering the transfer portal. We don't know what was going on. Doesn't really matter. Bottom line is this, man. The guy is not even close to being ready to be an NFL quarterback right now. He best would have been best served staying in school for another year, whether it was UB or somewhere
0: else. And I don't know. And maybe a year wouldn't do it. I don't know if he'll ever be a guy. He might just be a big athletic guy that dominated on lesser competition, right? Like he was just he had an arm and it was good enough to beat bad coverage and bad defenses in a vanilla offense. And you will never be able to get away with that in the NFL. That's a Jamarcus Russell. So a lot of people wanted to compare him to Josh Allen. He's really Jamarcus Russell, uh, yeah. just without the height. Train uh, going into it, so I think I would even go as far to say he's probably the zombie tidal wave of quarterbacks right now. On our <laughs> uh, no way, <laughs> the- dude!
2: Zombie tidal waves. He'd be the he'd be Tom Brady then because that movie's <laughs> the best best.
0: Uh, but no, And I'm, I'm actually fearful that they're going to bring him back to the practice squad. I would like to see them bring somebody else in because that third quarterback really has to get your scout defense ready or get the scout team ready to get your defense ready for the opponent. And he needs to be able to mimic real offenses, real NFL offenses. And if he can't even grasp the simple offense that they're putting in in preseason this year and he ran a vanilla offense in college, I don't think he's going to do your defense a lot of good. So uh, I think he's probably a nice guy. I, I hope that he gets a shot and sticks on somewhere. I just really don't want it to be Buffalo just because of the 20, the impact on the 2019 team. Now, I think that this team might have something in them where they can go on a little run. And I would hate for to have a scout quarterback that doesn't even belong in the league.
2: Yeah. And you know what? Maybe his day will come maybe in a, two years. He could definitely be an NFL caliber player. He's just not right now. And if you put him on the practice squad and maybe Matt Barkley goes on or even worse, Josh Allen, He's not that guy that you're calling up. He's not going to be a number two NFL quarterback in 2019. I just don't see any way that happens.
0: Nope. No, And we were there just a year ago, right? We had to bring in Derek Anderson and Matt Barkley because we were out of quarterbacks. It's not unfounded that that could happen. And he's like the vice president, man. He's a a shot away from being on the active roster. Uh, And so you want a guy that you're going to be able to trust and that can at least complete 50% of his passes in the NFL. Like he doesn't have to be a 60% passer uh, to be the backup quarterback, but this guy, man, I mean, he's just shooting darts all over the place and none of them are landing. So uh, it's just, I hope he catches on somewhere. I don't think the bills have the ability to hold four quarterbacks. Uh, Even with the practice squad, I wouldn't want to use that just to hold him as a developmental guy. So I do, I hope he sticks somewhere where they don't need that. Like the bills do.
2: Yeah. And I think when it comes to him, it's a pretty easy call that he doesn't make the 53 Maybe not quite so cut and dry when it comes to Duke Williams. Really good game in Carolina. I saw the touchdown catch. He's got a different skill set than the other Bills wide receivers. Different size. And I think that plays it was advantage. But still, he's got a long way to go to make this team. And I mean a long way to go. You got, assuming they're going to keep six receivers and Andre Roberts will be the fifth, which I'm sure that's going to happen. You got Isaiah McKenzie and Ray Ray McLeod right now that are probably ahead of him when it comes to that six wide receiver spot.
0: No, I I think you hit it right on the head. He's making some plays, and obviously Sean McDermott made it a point to talk about him before the game and wanting to get a good look at him. So uh, McDermott and Bean don't really put that kind of stuff out there as like a motivator or anything. I think they're pretty sincere when they put that out. So I think he's been impressing the coaching staff, and they really do want to get a look at him because it's going to get tough here. Like we just said, the third game's it, man. That's like the big game, and then everything else is just getting filmed. You know, that fourth game's really – nobody's making the team on the fourth game. At that point, you pretty much got your roster set. So uh, this week's going to be a big week for him if he can pull ahead. Because, you know, you talked about McKenzie McLeod and they are in kind of their own battle as well. But nobody's really solidifying that job yeah so there, there still is opening for the end of the roster but he's he's got an uphill climb but it's interesting I'm not sure he's a guy that they're going to be able to allow to clear waivers and get back on the practice squad because uh, teams are starting to get hurt at wide receiver it's getting thinner around the league that's going to be a tough one I think to keep him uh, but he'd be an ideal practice squad candidate because again when it comes to the battle of attrition we see it every year you're pulling guys off the street to play wide receiver you know in November and I'd rather have Duke Williams than some guy off the street or bring in and another Isaiah McKenzie in the middle of the season.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think there's a well above average chance that if they put Duke Williams on waivers, it'll go unclaimed and end up on the bills practice squad. Because if anyone claims Duke Williams, that means it's going to have to be put on the 53 active man roster. I'm not sure that'll happen, but it's not a lock. Let's put it that way. One other position that I think is interesting right now is we're getting into the, the meat and potatoes part of the preseason where real decisions are going to be made is that fourth defensive end spot. You got Mike Love, you got Daryl Johnston, and kind of falling back a little bit, but not completely out of it, you got Eddie Yarbrough. What are your thoughts right now heading into these last preseason games when it comes to that fourth defensive end position?
0: Yeah, I'm a little bummed with it because I had big expectations for Eddie. And I mean, when I say big, just a step forward for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I saw him working out with Lorenzo Alexander a bunch this offseason. I figured, that, man, what better way to get better than to hang out with Lorenzo Alexander all offseason and see how he does it. Uh, so I had big expectations for him, but I haven't. He's kind of been invisible to me, unfortunately, because uh, I really like Eddie. I think he's just a great guy, a great teammate. Um, and, and so I was bummed to see him not really be there. Mike Love surprised me a little bit this summer, but Daryl Johnson is just on the upward Trend, and I'm trying. He's a guy. You said at the top of the show here. I'm trying to get to get too excited. It's just preseason. You can't read a lot into it. But dude, the guy just looks natural. He looks like he understands the game. He is a defensive end. He looks like a defensive end. He has moves like a defensive end. And he was Uh, drafted too. And he was a drafted guy. And I just want to see him get a little bit more playing time in this serious game three. I want to see him up against some real competition to say, hey, if, if. you know, Jerry Hughes goes down and we need to get a real rotation on third downs. Can this guy come in and play in the NFL? And so I hope that he gets that shot. Uh, but right now, I th- I think he is in the lead um, just because he stood out the most. And he's probably popped on tape to the coaches.
2: Last thing that I get you out of here, third preseason game coming up this Friday in Detroit. This is where if there's still decisions to be made, I feel like this is the game where decisions get made. That fourth preseason game, for all intents and purposes, pretty much means Absolutely nothing. Decisions are already made at that point. So having said that, going into this for preseason standards, important game against Detroit on Friday, what are a couple of things that you're looking forward to seeing how they play out more than anything else?
0: I think the top thing right now and you you mentioned it is where Cody Cody Ford lines up and how does he do lining up because he's bounced around here all summer. I want to see where they've decided to, you know, land him to go into the season because that I think we're going to see that wherever he ends up here in this last game or this third game is I think where they're going to roll into the year. So I want to see where he ends up. I think that's probably the biggest one for me. Uh, Everything else, I've seen enough of the core unit. I I don't need to see Cole Beasley out there running around making plays this time because we've seen it. In fact, I'd be fine if he didn't touch the ball. You know, Um, I guess maybe two other things I'd like to see is some plays from either Zay Jones or Robert Foster. I think Zay had a nice start to that game, got hurt was totally silent this last game. Robert Foster has been silent. And and when he is being talked about in preseason, it's been bad so far here in training camp. So I want to see him make a play or two with the starting unit not, you know, in the third quarter or anything like that. So I want to see these guys kind of step up and prove that they belong in that wide receiver spot. Because we're talking about the battle at wide receiver six, but the guys at wide receiver three and four haven't done anything yet.
2: That's a good point, man. Real good point. All right, everyone, follow Aaron on Twitter at AaronQuinn716 subscribe premium content over at cover one by what is it like five dollars a month 20 hours for an entire year oh, yeah. or something like that that's the like steal, man that's highway robbery for buffalo bills fans that's like the biggest no-brainer going around tell people before i let you go man what's going on with cover one what are a few things you got going on you kind of hit on the the film which by the way i did see on twitter but i have not yet had a chance to dive into which i certainly will with eric and nate i'm really looking forward to seeing
0: that and the nice thing about that, it's in article form. So it is in a video and article so you can read the article. It really breaks it down. So no matter how you learn football, we've got it covered. You can either read it and, and join the gifts or get right into the film room with the guys through the YouTube link. Uh, so that's a great article. Uh, Craig and I did our post game show after the game. Obviously, that's a little dated at this point when your listeners are listening, but it's still got some good information in there. Sure. So go check it out and uh, make sure to subscribe to our, our pod as well. We're out there all the time doing as much as we can. We got to get you on the show here uh, soon, man. Yeah, for sure. My oh, man, it's a lot. Yo, I've got to go watch now. The exciting conclusion oh of gosh. zombie
2: tidal wave. Got to go check it out, man.
0: Your poor wife.
2: All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for this episode. Big, big thank you again to my man, Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. That was a lot of fun. Also, a big shout out to the Amherst Alehouse. Thanks to them for hooking us up for the spot to do the interview as well as feeding us some bomb chicken wings. Yo, I'm telling you, man, those World barbecue wings charred on the pit at Amherst Hill House. One of the best in Western New York. And that's no joke. They really are that good. So thanks to them. Last but not least, thanks to my boy, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. It was nice to finally be able to hook up with him, tape a segment. We hadn't done that in quite a while. Buffalo Bills, season's back. I'll be talking to Aaron plenty more in the upcoming weeks on this podcast. Coming up on Friday's show, I sat down with Buffalo News Executive Sports Editor Josh Barnett. I didn't have wings with him. I actually went to the Buffalo News office, sat in a conference room with him, had a great chat. So that'll be on Friday's show. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your laptop, your computer, your iPad, whatever it is. That you use to listen to podcasts within literally just seconds of being released. That's always the benefit of being a subscriber. You're going to get that episode before anyone else does. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. Been a little off key lately because I was in Buffalo taping so many interviews. So kind of drop those podcasts when they come. But back now to your regular scheduled program. So new episodes on Tuesday and Friday. Don't forget to rate and review the show. I say it all the time. It only takes a couple seconds to do that. And it really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. Speaking of the podcast, you can find us pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, all those. Have a YouTube channel. Go check that out. Type in Podcast" and subscribe there. Click that little bell so you'll get notifications when new content's released. Got highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Some original audio content as well. Last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. Thanks again for listening so much. I really, truly appreciate each and every single one of you. Seriously, I really do. Thanks again. Come back Friday, Josh Barnett from the Buffalo News. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.